well, we've talked about uh, oligarchs, we've talked about oil money, and we're, we're going to go back to oligarchs again uh, in the form of Everton. And, you know, it appears that uh, Roland Koeman's got a pre-order of FM18 at the moment, Lee, by the looks of things, <laughs> <laughs> and he's bringing it to real life. You know, what, what's your thoughts? Are, are they playing football manager with real money? I, I think they might well be, to be honest with you. Some, some of the deals that are coming through, it's it's quite eye-opening for a club like, like Everton. I mean, you take Ronald Koeman, who is another another coach, I think, I think is very, very Admirable. good. Yeah, good man. Yeah, but I think he's never been he's never been shy spending money, let's say. So some of the signings that we've seen coming in, I mean, they started off making very, very intelligent moves in the transfer market. David Klassen, the, the Dutch international midfielder from Ajax, looks an absolute bargain for what they paid for him. And he's come in, and I think he'll make a huge impact on on English football next season. And I think it's going to be great to watch him. He's he's not a playmaker as such in midfield, but he's kind of the this the Frank Lampard esque. You know, he'll he'll arrive in the penalty area and he'll he'll get his fair share of goals next season. So I think some of the signs is I mean, he look at Jordan Pickford. That's that's a lot of money a to pay for. <laughs> a lot of money for a goalkeeper on really yeah. that young. When you you talk about, I mean, Everton for a long time under David Moyes, especially they were kind of at the vanguard of of statistical profiling in terms of the recruitment. So that they they had a huge recruitment department under Moyes, and they were very specific and very methodical in the way they worked. So they they used to um, have plans, contingency plans, and all the rest of it for all their, their potential signings. And now you see them go out and spend all that money for, for such a young goalkeeper. I suppose you could argue that last season for Sunderland, he, he, faced, a, he faced a high volume of shots because oh, Sunderland were crap, weren't they? So they, they maybe, suggested maybe, to me as well, you know, given the age of the kid and whatnot, and given the longevity of, of, of the career of the goalkeepers, a little bit tends to be a little bit longer than the, the outfield player, that, you know, in, in five years' time, we may look back and think 30 million was maybe a bargain for him. Yeah, the way football's going, you genuinely never know. I mean, if if Pickford is the Everton goalkeeper for 15 seasons and for 10 of those seasons he's England number one then, then 30 million looks like an absolute bargain but I think when you talk about risk and you talk about risk in signings I think that young goalkeepers are, are potentially one of the highest the only young goalkeeper that I would I would perhaps pay a huge fee for at the moment is Donnarumma at AC Milan I don't think that Pickford I might be proven wrong he could turn out to be excellent and I suppose they paid what is it the the English tax on on that side side of a player who's English from from a competitor as it were, so that they paid a lot of money to take him in, but yeah, you you see some of what they're doing and well, Everton were were one of the clubs I think who signed a, an agreement with Sports Interactive who make Football Manager for, for access to their database, so they might actually go. be making the links are there, Lee. The links are there. <laughs> Tell you. But you, I mean, Pickford clashing are one thing. Sandro Ramirez, Spanish forward, he he looked very, very good. He he'd been under twenty one championships, but by all accounts, he's not an out and out goal scorer. And and what the hell are they going to do with Wayne Rooney? <laughs> you know, now it's great you, you're signing Wayne Rooney. I think the midfield experiments failed. I don't think he's a midfielder. I wouldn't play him as a ten now. I, I, he's done. If you're going to have he's him, done. I think you're, gonna, you're trying yeah. to say he's done. You're trying to be kind to him. I'm, I'm cutting through. <laughs> he's done. <laughs> I, it, he's only thirty-one, but I mean, I think the the point's always been made. He's an old thirty-one, given when he started his career and how many games at the top level he's played. I think they're going to try and play him as a nine. 
like they're going to try and play him as the, the <laughs> yeah, the Lukaku replacement, and he just doesn't have that mobility anymore. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure about Everton. No, and look, the, the, we we saw a little bit of this under Rodgers at Liverpool. You know, the the influx of players and the imbalance that can actually have on the, on the existing squad. You know, there's a lot of signings have gone in there, Lee. What you know, number one, do you, you know, it's a gamble. All transfers are gambles, but this many and getting them to gel and find the right set, you know, uh, for or the right balance for that team could take Everton a little bit of time, don't you feel? Definitely. I, I think it could take them uh, a couple of months from the beginning of the season before they're settled. And that's the whole thing in, in this league and in this environment in modern football. Bear in mind, they've got Europa League football as well. On top of that, if they, they manage to get through the next um, the next two-leg tie they have, they'll be in the group stage of the Europa League. So that's a, another distraction. But if you fall behind in terms of your preparation, in terms of getting your squad, your squad cohesion sorted, in terms of getting all your players, not only I mean, not only do these players coming in have to get used to Ronald Koeman and the way that he works, the way he's he's quite a disciplinarian, I think. He, he has a, a strict set of rules that he wants to be adhered to, but they've got to get used to his tactical instructions. They've got to get used to the coaching setup, the training facilities, the the demands on their time from the club. But they've got to get used to playing with each other as well. And I think that's the kind of thing. It, it, it can be difficult for footballers. There are some that will go into any club and settle straight away. The, the hyper-intelligent footballer, you know, who can go in anywhere and, and slot into any system and just get it as it were. But some others take a little bit of time to get used to the way that their teammates move. So if you were playing for a long time, for example, with the Romelu Lukaku up front, you knew that if you were under pressure, you could hit that 30-yard pass into space and Romelu Lukaku could, he had the, the pace, the power to get there, to hold the ball up, to kind of fashion a chance on goal. But if you're hitting that 30-yard pass into space for Wayne Rooney, good luck. You know, and, and there's suggestions there as well, Lee, about you know this squad, and, and they're, they're maybe trying to find a balance between England and far, foreign talent combined. Um, what, 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 what's your thoughts on that? It's really interesting if if you look at the if you look at the under twenty squad for England that did so well at the at the recent World Championship. A lot of those players came out of Everton. You know they they've got they they went out last season and they they signed a couple of players. They've got a couple who've come through their youth system, which is still producing players at still a relatively high level. So they have these this core of young English players, and then they've gone out and they signed Michael Keane and they signed Jordan Pickford and they, they well Wayne Rooney. They signed Wayne Rooney. There you go. So they they kind of have this this affinity for English players, as it were, but. It's whether they can get the foreign players to, to gel with that and whether they can keep the pathways open for these young players. They they have the, I think one of the, the players for the England in the 20s was a, a, young, a young right back called John Joe or Jojo Kenny who looked absolutely excellent in the under 20 championship. He he was one of the, the leaders of the group, as it were. He was one of the ones that was constantly driving the team forward. He looked very comfortable in possession. He looked very comfortable going forward and he looked very comfortable when he was defending as well, one-on-one in space. He looked good. And then they go out and sign Kuko Martina from Southampton on a a freedom of contract, a player who really didn't impress at all for Southampton last season. So that's a player coming in, taking up a space in your team that could have gone to one of your own. That's kind of taking a a pathway away from this young right-back that they have. So 
I think there has to be for a club like Everton, for all the investment they've got, for all you know, all the backing they have now, for Ronald Koeman being a coach, and he's very much a coach. I think about the here and now more than the the development of talent. But surely a club like Everton should still be looking to create pathways for these players. They should still be looking at ways to to ensure that the next level, that all this investment is fine, but it's not sustainable. How many teams that are spending all this money just now? How many teams are going to be able to go out next season and, and match that? Even with, I mean, you talk about the kind of financial investment going into the Premier League teams at the moment. They've got outside investment and they've got all this TV money. So maybe the money is there, but it's not sustainable for the long term. What's important over the long term is that they keep developing young players and they seem to be having success doing that. So. I think that should really be one of the focuses for everything going forward. But whether that matches with the kind of the short term plans of Ronald Koeman, that's another question. I think. And and you know you mentioned Koeman there, and you know, what number one would would he be the right man to take this for? You know, obviously, look, the the, the old football romantic in me looks at the Wayne Rooney deal and go, oh yeah, you know, can understand it. But the pragmatist in me goes, bloody hell, you've made a mistake here. There's, 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 you know, what you're trying to do, this project that the Cummins on, surely a, a signing like Rooney is all for the wrong reason. It's all romance, and you know, yeah. Also, with spending all this amount of money comes fan expectations, and with fan expectations become you know pressures on managers, pressures on players, and given you know that the longevity of managers in the Premier League <laughs> is questionable. You know, Cumin. You know, while he, well, he's not under any pressure at this moment in time, it wouldn't take very long for pressure to mount, given all that's been spent. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that. I mean, part of that's pressure that Cumin puts on himself. He's he's made no secret about the fact that he's an ambitious coach in his own right. You know, not only he, he took the job at Everton from Southampton, and a lot of people saw that as a sideways move, but Cumin very much saw that as going from a club like Southampton which perhaps had a model in place that the manager's not quite his influence isn't negated but his influence is certainly less at a club like Southampton so he's taken a job at Everton where he thinks his ambitions can be better served he's made no secret of the fact that one day he wants to manage Barcelona so you kind of think that how can a prospective Barcelona coach have a have a C, have something in C V which is essentially seen as a failure at a club like Everton. So yeah, absolutely the pressure's gonna be massive, I think, on on Cumin and on Everton going forward. You'd almost have thought, I mean, I know Roberto Martinez was eventually seen as a failure at Everton, but quite a lot of what we're seeing with the youth system and the players who are really developing well in that youth system, quite a lot of that work was put in by Martinez when he was at the club and a lot of work was put into reshaping the youth system and kind of looking to rebuild from the bottom. So having a coach like Koeman in place, who's very much short-term pragmatist, three points at the weekend, which you can understand. You can 100% understand a coach who, who's focused on the next game because, as you say, the, the shelf life for a Premier League manager is ridiculously short. There, there's, no, there's no sense of long-term planning, I think, for a lot of clubs. So... It'll be interesting to see exactly what can kind of start. I mean, as we touched upon earlier on, if everything can't come together as a team over the first few weeks and they have a couple of difficult matches, if suddenly they find themselves in the bottom half of the table after five, six, seven, eight match days, then I think the pressure really begins to build. And don't forget that such heavy investment from the 
the new owners at the club, they're going to have a minimum expectation of what of what the team goes on to achieve this season too. No, absolutely. And, you know, I think we'll move on and leave Everton behind. And we'll go into the even matter model, which we're seeing, I think, at the minute, they see Milan. And they, they seem determined that they're just going to bring a whole new squad in in this particular window. Um, what's, your, what's your thoughts? I, you know, I think that is a particularly risky. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to see Milan back at the top table again. We're missing that, you know, uh, the, the great Milan sides of the past. But is this the way yeah. to bring it about, Lee? No, for me, I think I think what we're seeing, I think you're right. I mean, you and I, we've already touched upon Italian football back when, when we used to watch it when it was full of all the big names and, and AC Milan were, were the biggest, you know, bigger for me than Juventus and Inter and Roma and all those teams. It was always AC Milan when I was growing up. They were always kind of the standard bearer, that team of Arrigo Sacchi. And then after them, you had um, Fabio Capello, Carlo Ancelotti. You had coaches who were excellent, but they always had really, really good teams. So now we've had a few years now, and you said yourself just then that it would be great to see Milan back. That's because Milan haven't been anywhere over the last three, four, five seasons. That They haven't been competing even for you know, top three in Italian football. They've been struggling to, struggling to put any kind of form together. And now they've they've got a coach in Vincenzo Mantella who who's very promising as a young coach. He's he's doing a great job there so far. But now with this new Chinese investment, they they seem to be they seem to be turning around and trying to trying to get AC Milan back to the very top in one transfer window, which is just it would be great if it could work. But I think it's very very dangerous. Don't I would get say it'd be wrong, dangerous so. if it did work, Lee, because you're you're setting <laughs> yeah. you're setting an example, and the amount of money flying about at the minute, yeah. you don't want the, you you almost don't want it to succeed for the right reasons. No, well, again, it's sustainability. Uh, how often are are Milan going to be able to turn around and do this? So, if three or four of these signings fail, do they go out next summer and put the same amount of investment in again to try and fix those failures, or or kind of is there going to be a shift to the model? I think what they've done quite well, quite a lot of the signings they made are are smart signings in that they've already got experience in the league, that they've gone out to cherry-picked certain players who've, who've performed really well in Serie A. I mean, Leonardo Bonucci, I think, is obviously the standout. He's, bargain of the window so far, I think. Bargain of the window. Insane. I, I think the price was driven. You wanted to leave Juventus after the bust-up that, that occurred during the, the Champions League final last season. He'd fallen out with Massimo Allegri and it was very much a case for Juventus of do we keep the coach or do we keep our star central defender? So Bonucci found himself on his way and, and I think Milan couldn't believe their luck. But they've also gone out. One of my favourite players in Italy last season was a right-back with Andrea Conte of Atalanta. They, they've gone out and signed Conte now and I think Conte is going to go on to become one of the stars next season. I think he, he has absolutely everything you want in a modern fullback. They've also taken Frank Kessie, who's an Ivorian midfielder. They've taken him from Atalanta as well. They're very much a, a powerful midfielder, kind of pop up esque but without the the showboating, as it were. He's he's very effective in the central midfield. So quite a lot of these players have come in and they, they've got experience in the league and they've got that little bit of nous and they've got that kind of that kind of ability to to push the club on. But I, I don't know how comfortable I am with. With so many new players coming to the first team, it's it's fine to sign new players if you're signing 
seven, eight players, and you're thinking right, two or three of these are the first team players, and the others will go to the development squad or they'll, they'll get first team minutes, but they'll be kind of backups. That, that gives you depth to your squad. That's great without really hurting the first team cohesion. But if you're signing seven or eight players and saying, right, you're going to the first team next season, that's mad. Well, the one thing I will say, Lee, is that they've recruited brave and early in the window. They've, they've managed to identify their targets. They've managed to get their targets pretty early in the window. Just how essential do you feel that is in, in the bedding in process for the season? That's the, that's the one kind of seeming grace that they have, the fact that they've been able to go out and get these players in kind of early doors. So, I mean, Milan are, are another team like Everton who are facing qualification for the Europa League. How, I mean, how my, my own team, Aberdeen, they knocked out now by Paul on Limassol in the last round, but there was a possibility they would have drawn AC Milan. <laughs> that's just, to me, that's just crazy. I'm a team like Milan in that, that stage of European qualifiers. Because the stature through, remains. The star may have fallen, but the stature remains. Absolutely. Absolutely does. I mean, there's still a huge name and a huge draw, but that's that's part of the thing. that There's a there's an expectation now from their supporters. As we've said before, you've spent money. There's an expectation from supporters that they're going to get success. But that's domestic success, and that's European success. So being able to get their, their business done early, you take these players in your training camp, you, you kind of teach them the tactical side of the game first, so Bob Montella wants from his teams, because he's a very astute tactician as well as being you know, quite good in the motivation side, he's, as well as being one of my favourite strikers from a few years ago, he looks like he's developing into an excellent coach, so these players come into the training camp early, they get acclimatised, they get to know their teammates and then they're ready to go for when these, these matches come because they're playing games in Europe which they should be winning comfortably but you know as well as I do that if teams aren't, you know, they, they come in and they aren't prepared and they aren't well enough kind of ready and acclimatised to go forward for the, the games and they're, they're going to struggle. And then the, the hope is as well that you get these players in early and then you're ready to go from the first game of the season and you just hit the ground running and off you go. This is something that the German sides have always done very well. If you see the Bundesliga side, as soon as the, the season's over, they start announcing transfers and they got all their business done really early so that everything's done and everything's in place for, for kind of the end of the summer holidays for the players and they're coming back. So... Yeah, Milan have done well. They've they're still, I think, in for one or two players, which is again crazy. But they they seem to have done everything relatively soon. I'm just curious, did these owners, you know, do you think it's a result of you know years of this underachievement we talked about for a club of that stature, or do you feel it's just throwing money at the wall? Or do you, you know, it's really hard to see a strategy in this league apart from just spend, 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 and, and we can buy maybe a whole new squad, never mind a whole new first eleven. Yeah, it's, I think it's always difficult with, I struggle, I mean, I used to struggle with the, the oligarch owners, the Russian owners coming in, because kind of getting a read on what their intentions were and, and how they like to work was difficult. But I think it's a whole new ball game with the Chinese owners that are coming into football now. I think that the levels of money, as you were you were saying earlier on with Neymar and, and how the Brazilian public reacts to kind of try to wrap their heads around the amount of money that he's taking in single payments. I can't get my head around the amount of money that the Chinese investors are taking into clubs. And they seem they seem to be coming in and looking to, to get everything in place right now for the club to become a superpower, which we, we both have touched upon. AC Milan absolutely should be. They, they should be a club mentioned in the same breath. For me, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, it should be AC Milan. 
Um, and now, because the fans have been through so much recently, fans of AC Milan are one of the most passionate, passionately supported teams in European football as well. And they've seen their team in mid-table. And it's not just the fact they've been they haven't been getting the points. It's the fact that the football on, on show has been so dire. Unfitting, unfitting of a team of that of that stature. It's it's been awful watching. I've seen a few games last season, Lee, and it's it, yeah. it's not the AC Milan I, I I grew up loving. No, no, exactly. I'm exactly the same. I mean, the, the teams back then were were amongst the best in the world, and that's kind of what you expect from AC Milan. So, I think some of this the, the investments come in, and I think part of it is that they've underperformed for so long that they have to. In their eyes, I suppose, for the younger generation of fans, they're trying to re-implement the AC Milan brand very quickly. And a lot of this investment is about branding. It's about branding in the Far East. It's about branding in China and places like this. It's about branding in Africa. It's about taking the, the club into new markets and new revenue streams as much as it's purely about football, which is kind of a sad way to look at it. But I think that's got quite a lot to do with it, the fact that they're trying to to make an impact immediately as opposed to having a, say, a three, four, five-year plan where they, they can build towards sustainability and build towards this level of, this level of success that they, they attain. No, it's funny, you know, you, I, we, I've done a couple of podcasts for WFI uh, with a guy called Cameron Wilson who lives in China. And, you know, at, at the time I did a pod with him that there was talk of a, of a takeover at Liverpool. And, you know, the one thing I've had from the two conversations that, I, that I've had with Cameron on podcasts is that if, if, if a Chinese consortium enters your club, there is no second place. There is no tomorrow. Everything needs done. To yeah. They're only there <laughs> yeah. to succeed. The price doesn't matter. The loss doesn't matter. We just keep plugging. We keep throwing money. There's, you know, the Chinese Super League at the minute, there's no caps on anything. You, you know, it doesn't fall under financial fair, but you just keep throwing money at it. And, and again, you know, we, we, they're now in Europe at AC Milan, other places also. Um, I think Milan probably the most high profile at the moment. But again, you know, surely somewhere down the line, this, this is, is folly. And somewhere down the line, this is going to hurt AC Milan in the future. I think so. I think that, I mean, if, for example, these owners were to pull out tomorrow, then they've saddled the club in an unsustainable situation. So. But don't forget as well, AC Milan always were and still are another team who develop good young players. I think a lot of what they've done this season is, has been done almost to appease the, the goalkeeper Donnarumma. Donnarumma turned around a couple of months ago and said that he wanted to leave and effectively handed a transfer request he wasn't going to sign a new contract and I think the fallout in Milan over that was absolutely huge because he's a, a local you know a locally developed player who, who's in my opinion going to be the standout goalkeeper he's the hero legend for them in the future absolutely and not just for, for Milan but for Italy he's, he's Buffon's successor right and and now you've got the, the spectre of Juventus potentially taking him from you or Real Madrid taking him from you and you being powerless to stop that from happening. So I think a lot of this was kind of their way of of showing Donnarumma that they were serious and they were ambitious. But again, that's very dangerous. It's a very dangerous way to build. It's a very dangerous way to, to be approaching a new season. I mean, I've already touched upon the fact I think Montella is one of the most promising young coaches in European football, if you can still be considered young, I guess. But if AC Milan start this season with three losses and a draw, is he out of a job because of all the money that's been spent? And 
if he is out of the job, where, where then does that leave AC Milan? If they're then recruiting a new coach who may not fancy some of these new players that they've just gone out and signed for, for all these millions, do they, do they start the cycle again, the cycle of investment in the first-team squad? It's it's just a bit... Uh, it's hard to come to terms with, I guess, and that might be because you and I have been watching football for a long time, and we remember... I mean, I, I distinctly remember AC Milan breaking the world transfer record to sign a winger called Gianluca Lentini, Gianluigi Lentini from Torino. They, they paid £13 million for him and that was huge. Mm-hmm. And now you're, you're talking about you know, deals in the hundreds of million and it just doesn't sit right with me. I, I'm still complaining about Trevor Francis going for a million. To, 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 to <laughs> but, but back to Milan again, you know, obviously all these new signs, which ones would you earmark about, you know, do you fancy making an impact for them this season? Which ones do you think will work out for them? I think, as I said, they've, they've recruited quite well and they've, they've cherry-picked a couple. Atalanta last season were very much like Monaco were in that they performed well above well above expectations and they played a really exciting brand of football. So going out and getting Andrea Conti and Frank Kessie from Atalanta, I think that's two, two players who'll come in and make an impact right away. But I'm quite interested to see the Portuguese forward, Andre Silva, that they've taken from FC Porto. He's a, an attacker who Cristiano Ronaldo himself has come out and said that when he retires, don't worry because Portugal will still have Andre Silva. So I think it'll be quite interesting to see what kind of impact he can kind of have in the first team. But all of this is is you know assuming that they're not going to go out as soon as Latan Ibrahimovic declares himself fit and sign him and play him up front. You never know with this AC Milan team. No, indeed. Well, you know, we'll move from a team who have done a lot of transfers to a team that can't do a transfer. And and this will be a very short portion of the show. I cannot be bothered even indulging it. Uh, it's Liverpool. Um, you know, I, I, I'll ask you, Lee, basically, you know, I, from my own point of view as, as a supporter, I really, really don't want to get ranty on this one. But, you know, our season was, or this window uh, for this season was meant to be the defining moment of, of the FSG ownership, of, of, of all the rest of it. And, you know, we needed, we needed personnel in. We needed to cull dead wood. We've done... You know, we signed Salah, a player we don't need. We've signed Hull's uh, left back. Seems to be Robertson seems to be a decent, decent acquisition. And Solanke on a free, who you know in preseason, but I do stress preseason looks looks pretty good. But you know, we've had the Nabi Keita thing. We've got the the protracted Virgil Van Dijk that won't go away. We're now apparently looking at uh, Arturo Vidal as an option. Uh, but getting these over the line, and then in the middle of it all, Barcelona come knocking for Phil Coutinho. What what do you make of this debacle that Liverpool have, have been involved in so far that in the last sort of six weeks? I, I think it's really difficult. I think that Liverpool have kind of been caught out by by what has been the change in face of football this season. The, the change in the transfer market and this transfer window has been unlike anything that I think we've, we've seen in a, a long, long time with the, not just with the kind of fees that are being paid, but with with clubs emerging now, whether it's a whether it is a Liverpool who may well turn around to Barcelona and say, "Sorry, Coutinho's not for sale at any price," and that that's the bottom line. Clubs are now in, in a position where they're able to say no to to shitloads of money. Basically, you, you turn around, and you look at we we spoke quite in depth last time about Red Bull Leipzig and Naby Keita, and they they're quite comfortable because they they're owned by the Red Bull. 
drinks company, they're quite comfortable turning around eighty, turning down eighty million, eighty-five million. It's not gonna, it's not gonna be enough for them to, to kind of see that as being a, a financially viable option to sell a player like Naby Keita. So I think that Liverpool have been caught out a little bit by that, and I think some of it is is Jurgen Klopp, it's FSG, not kind of wanting. They're kind of in a halfway house. They've gone out, and I know I you said he wants that, to be at fault. But the problem is that the fault yeah. and blame is is falling at both their doors. You know, don't get me wrong. For FSG come in with no track record in football, their first love is the Boston Red Sox, and yeah. you, you know. It, it, we we ended the the last summer transfer window in the black, and and that yeah. for a Premier League club of the stature and, and the aspirations of a club like Liverpool is is mind blowing, and yes. ultimately with with this Phil Coutinho deal, if it were to go through, and they're talking about a hundred million, one hundred twenty million phone numbers, but Neymar's caused all of this, you know, it's changed the face of <laughs> yeah. this window, uh, and, and it doesn't matter who you buy, but we're caught, or potentially going to be caught, you know, the big domino going down was Neymar, and obviously Barca yeah. want to come to us to, to replenish, so we're caught in that domino movement, so every, you know, every day we make after that, you know, we're, we're saying, you got big money for Neymar, we want big money for Coutinho, we go to replace Coutinho, the next club's going to go, oh, times five for you as well, and, and round yeah. and round it'll go, and I think that you know, I think Liverpool must stand firm. They must stand firm as, as firm as they can with Coutinho. But uh, you know, th- there's there's a suggestion here in Brazil, certainly yesterday, that Phil Coutinho, with regret, will will go for the transfer request and replacing him yeah. at, at this stage with three weeks left. Lee, it, it's scary. It's it's difficult. I think that you face the fact as well that Coutinho is such an important part of the the team um, in terms of how Klopp wants to play. I, I think that. I know mean, we said that the club didn't really need Salah. I think that Salah's going to prove to be one of the signings of the window. I think that Salah had one side the man and the other. And Firmino kind of in a withdrawn striker role. I think that the plan would have been to have Coutinho playing in a more central role behind Firmino, coming in beside Firmino. I think that's the way that the game eventually would have developed for Liverpool. But I have heard, and there's been quite a lot of talk recently about the Spanish media reporting that the Coutinho deal is close and it's very much, you know, a case of whether whether Liverpool can turn around and say no. I, I saw I think that a lot of the people who kind of write a lot more about transfers than I do are expecting that if Coutinho does go, it would be Manuel Lanzini, the the Argentinian at West Ham that Liverpool turned to. And I'm not quite sure that's no, uh, I'm, I'm that's not filled with joy at that, you know. Um, no, absolutely. Uh, there's there's another train of thought at the minute, Lee, as well. You know, you mentioned Leipzig that you know, pending our Champions League group arrival, you know, qualification for that, that we will go back. That Leipzig somehow have uh, have said, you know, well, you're not. He can go to a Champions League club, and the fact that we're not in the Champions League proper at the minute, they're just you know, they're, yeah. they're messing about. But again, obviously, they don't want to lose their best asset. I, I respect that. I do to- totally respect yeah. them. On, on the other side of it, it's frustrating and so on. But you have to respect yeah. these clubs now because Neymar has changed everything. Yes, that's it. The, the money that we're talking about, clubs are now able to turn around and protect their assets as much as they can. And as much as we hope that Liverpool keep Coutinho, because Coutinho's, for me, I mean, as we've talked enough about AC Milan and how they were growing up, I'm not a Liverpool fan, but when I was growing up, Liverpool were one of the teams to watch. 
So for me, a strong Liverpool is a really important part of football. I want to see Coutinho playing with Mane and Salah and Firmino. I want to see that that attack in full flight. I, I want to see the, the ability that Coutinho has. I think this would have been the season that he really, really came out and, and firmly put the stamp on himself as a world-class player. I think this was his season kind of to seize that and, and be one of the top players in the, the English league. I think he's got that kind that level of ability. But and now, if he does come out with a transfer request, then the difficulty is, I mean, Liverpool are kind of, they've seen it from both sides. They're, they're the ones who have been desperate to get Van Dijk in. And now Van Dijk's handed a transfer request in. And a lot of Liverpool fans are saying that the, the Southampton are in the wrong for not allowing them to speak to Liverpool. And now it's kind of a case of, well, we don't want Coutinho to speak to Barcelona. So it's kind of... Yeah, it's, it's ironic it in many angles. ways. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange situation. But, you know, even with, with, with the Coutinho thing, you know, you, you mentioned about how good he is. He, he has moments where he's world-class, but they aren't enough to, to, to warrant the tag of world-class. As you say, yep. this is a big year for Coutinho. Uh, we've got World Cup coming up. He's going to be a, a central part of, of Chich's uh, Brazil team. There's no two ways about that. Um, but again, if, if, you know, if Liverpool play this hard game with Coutinho uh, and say, look, you're not going or you can go next season, you know, we saw it with Suarez. Suarez went on and kicked on. I'm not so sure that, that Phil Coutinho's got the character of, of a Luis Suarez who was the pure winner, was the pure go-getter, a, a bulldog, a pit yeah. bull, whatever. Way. He doesn't have that mentality. And I would worry uh, that, I'm not suggesting he's, he's mentally weak or anything, but he certainly doesn't have the, the fortitude of, of mind that the Luis Suarez would have had to drive himself on. And that would be my worry for him staying. If, you know, if he wants to go and he hands in a transfer request and that's where his heart is, we, we could be doing a great disservice to ourselves, never mind the player with it. Completely. I think that's the thing. I mean, Tower right now, and it's all very well to say that we, we could potentially lose this player for 100 120 million now. But if we do keep him and his headspace isn't right, then if we don't get the quality performance from next season, we end up selling him for less than that 120 million. Has it been worth turning it down? You take that 120 million, and maybe you can go out and, and do something in the transfer market. Exactly what that would be, I have no idea at this late stage. The, the season's just a, a matter of days away from starting so I think it's a difficult position but I think that the onus I think from Liverpool would be on them to force Barcelona into making a final decision on whether they're going to bid for Coutinho properly sooner rather than later to try and get the deal finalised if they have to Well as I say the Brazilian media would have you believe it's a matter of ours but eh, I, I don't know I, I think I think we'll leave it at early because I think we're, we're, we're stretching into the uh, a two-parter here so uh <laughs> I'll say apologies for that, but it's been a very sort of I've I've enjoyed this conversation. It's been it's been enlightening in many respects. Listen, before we go, Lee, uh, first of all, thank you very much as always for your time. Where can we find you? Where can we find your work or anything else? Any websites you want to give a mention to? Please, please, please feel free. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at FM Analysis. Um, I'm currently am the lead analyst for Eat Sleep Drink Football. Um, you can find me there along with an. Uh, group of really really talented tactical writers who do a lot of analysis work there's a lot of stuff in recruitment there too if you want to take a look so yeah just stop by and have a look and, and have a look at what all the guys are there are producing at the moment that is excellent 
and I urge people to go there and check that out. From our own point of view, usual shows all coming back this week. We've had a bit of a eye of a storm. Uh, I'd imagine next week will be the, the, the full quota of pods back again with football around Europe kicking off. So stay tuned to us. Uh, as I say, if you're of a Liverpool persuasion, you want to hear that uh, pod we did last night. It's on the feed there around Coutinho and the Brazilian media and so on. Um, and as I say, there'll be a few more pods added in the next couple of days as well. So keep you, keep you going over the weekend. Uh, Other than that, just one last thanks to Lee, one last thanks to the listener, and until the next one, it's goodbye.